0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat in Southamon District with your Extension Crop Report. With sporadic rains here and there, weeds have been able to have flushes of germination. However, somehow weeds grow seemingly without water too. This year has been a good year for weed problems as most pre-emergent herbicides need some sort of soil moisture to activate. Without it, the weeds can grow right through the barrier. Also, the slow growth of soybeans has kept them from canopying to block out the sunlight from the newly germinated weeds. That being said, there are some fields out there with various weed issues that could need some tending to. There is extra concern though that needs to be taken when applying herbicides in high temperatures. First, some herbicides work by inhibiting certain growth processes. If a weed is not actively growing, then it is resistant to those herbicides. Glyphosate is the most common one, but others have simpler modes of action. As temperatures get above 85 to 90 degrees, the metabolic processes that start to slow that would move the herbicides around the weed. Spraying in the morning allows for the weed to recover overnight and still be cool enough to be more effective herbicide application. Along with that, plants tend to increase the waxy coating on their leaves during the heat and drought stress. It becomes more important to use a surfactant to hold the herbicide on the leaf to ensure that it will be absorbed. While the translocated herbicides become less effective, the non-translocated, folar herbicides can become more effective. The problem is that most folar herbicides affect soybean leaves, but work by hurting the weeds worse. During hot weather, the folar herbicides can do considerable damage to the soybean leaves too. Cobra is one that is well known for scorching leaves. The Liberty and Reflex are also in this category. These fuller herbicides are better to be sprayed in the evening, when temperatures will soon start to cool down, and also reduce the herbicide and adjunct rates down some. And of course, the volatile herbicides of dicamba, and to a lesser extent 2,4-D, will tend to increase volatility in hotter weather. Besides an increase in volatility, strong temperature inversions are possible as well, allowing the volatilized herbicide to drift. There are a lot of rules to spraying the soybean dicamba formulations. But it is best to avoid spraying when temperatures are above 90 degrees and use the large droplet sprayer application tips that are required by the label. Temperature inversions start towards the evening and can last until 8 or 9 a.m. the next day. The Kansas Mesonet can help determine the presence and the strength of an inversion. Some soybean fields are within the first couple of weeks after being planted, much of it into double cropped wheat with already established weed populations. Control methods at this point become a little more difficult, but it is important to remember the effects of heat on how the herbicide will respond within the weed, with on the soybean and in the environment. Much of the information in this report came from herbicide and weed specialist Dr. Sarah Lancaster. If anyone has any questions over herbicides and weed control, it can reach me at 620-724-8233 or 620-244-3826. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent from the Wildcat Extension District. The hot summer days can be a real drag, and animals have difficulty staying cool just like people. There are a few species that don't have functional sweat glands, including pigs. This means they can feel the heat just like we do, only they can't sweat it off. This inability to cool themselves can very quickly lead to heat stress. Mature pigs are more comfortable when air temperatures are between 50 and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Once temperatures exceed 80 degrees, pigs over 100 pounds can very quickly move into a life-threatening level of heat stress. Potential heat stress can be determined by using the heat stress index based on climate conditions. This index compares percent relative humidity with temperature and establishes approximate danger levels. Short rounds of acute heat stress can be harder on pigs and herd production than heat waves that last just a few days because pigs don't get the chance to adapt to the heat. Heat stress events can lead to feed refusal. These acute heat stress events can reduce feed intake by 25 to 50%. Repeated events and repeated feed refusal events compound to reduce the growth rate of your pigs. In addition to the increased morbidity and mortality rates, the risk of endotoxemia, affecting their gastrointestinal system, is raised. Good husbandry can reduce the overall effect of heat stress on your herd. There are some ways to mitigate heat stress. Offer your pigs at least twice as much water on hot days as they drink normally. Allow pigs to use water to facilitate evaporative cooling by setting up water drip lines or sprinklers to let them get wet. Be sure to also have space in the pen to allow for drying. Without drying, evaporation does not work to cool the pig. For pigs raised outdoors, shade provides a retreat from the sun. Not only does this protect the animal from the primary source of heat, but also minimizes the possibility of sunburn for breeds with white hair and skin. When using a building or a hutch, make sure that two or more of the sides of the building can be opened up to allow for natural airflow. In combination with water, ventilation provides the evaporative part of evaporative cooling. Utilize both to keep pigs dry and cool. Poorly ventilated buildings can turn a hot situation into an emergency very quickly. Place fans that exhaust air out of the barn and be sure that inflows are not blocked. Check for air leaks around doors and walls to ensure proper airflow. Provide feed during cooler times of the day when pigs are more likely to want to eat. Keep feeders clean to encourage feed intake. Handling pigs early in the morning or late at night will minimize the added stress of heat to movement. Utilizing these tips in combination with good animal husbandry can minimize the effect of heat stress on your pigs and on herd performance. For more information on heat stress, give me a call at the Wildcat Extension District, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent with her report.
2: This is Adelan Strongs, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, LaVette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Aquatic plants are a natural part of the aquatic ecosystem used by many different animals either as food or as a hiding place. Many people find aquatic plants interesting and attractive, however, As with any naturally occurring organism, they may interfere with people's activities either by overabundance or by their mere presence. When this occurs, the plants are considered weeds and some control may be desired. Different problems occur in different types of water. The most common aquatic vegetation problems occur in ponds. Abundant vegetation affects the fish populations in these bodies of water. Small fish hide in the vegetation, making them unavailable to predators. This will often result in overpopulation and stunting of certain species of fish. Excessive vegetation interferes with fishing, swimming, and boating. And dead, decaying vegetation produces offensive odors. A more serious problem results from the oxygen deficiency caused by the decaying vegetation. This can occur at almost any time of the year, but the most common times are in mid-summer and in mid-winter. Summer kills usually occur after periods of hot, calm, cloudy weather. During these times, the plants greatly reduce their photosynthesis, but continue to respire and often die and decompose. Problem weed species must be identified before an appropriate weed control practice can be selected. Aquatic plants are classified by a similar growth habitat as algae, floating plants, submerged plants, immersed plants, or marginal plants. Control of aquatic weeds can be subdivided into four general categories. Prevention, mechanical and physical, biological, and herbicides. Often a combination of these practices is necessary for adequate control. Effective planning and aquatic system management often eliminates or greatly reduces the need for costly and time-consuming weed control practices. Aquatic weed problems typically occur in clear, shallow water that is high in nutrients. Ponds or lakes should be constructed so that shallow water areas are minimized by shaping the sides with a three-to-one slope, three feet horizontal to one vertical drop down to a depth of at least three feet. Excessive nutrients should be prevented from getting into the water since they will stimulate rapid plant growth. Common sources of nutrients are runoff from livestock holding areas, septic tank drainage, and heavily fertilized fields. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Dave Sroncz with your K-State Research and Extension report.
0: Thank you, Dave. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Determining whether a tree in your landscape might be a hazard is incredibly important for protecting people and property in a tree's vicinity. Hazard trees fall into two categories, decaying trees and diseased trees. While not always mutually exclusive, Decaying trees will often be the result of environmental damage such as lightning strikes, excessive winds, improper pruning, or insect damage. Decaying trees are far more likely than diseased trees to become hazardous. There are fewer diseases that will outright kill trees, and when they do, they rarely cause structural issues. However, it is still important to identify and solve any disease issues to reduce stress on the tree. Disease pressure weakens a tree and makes it more likely to fail in environmentally damaging conditions. It is crucial to scout regularly for disease and decay in any landscape trees near houses, power lines, roads, or other infrastructure. When scouting, there are two primary warning signs of issues that should be resolved. The first is dieback in part or all of the tree canopy. This could be caused by several problems, but is often most caused by damage to the branches. If any damage is noticed, it should be pruned out. If left unpruned, decay can enter the tree. A clean prune initiates the tree's immune response and lowers the risk of further problems. The other common problem that can cause trees to become hazards is holes in the trunk. These provide a direct opening into the wood where decay can enter and eat away at the trunk, causing stability issues. Any decay should be closely monitored for progression through the tree to ensure there is still enough of the trunk to guarantee stability. If tree stability cannot be guaranteed, the tree should be removed. The key to getting strong trees lies in proper selection and early care. When choosing trees at a nursery or garden center, select ones with a strong central leader. Known as X-Current Growth, this growth is less likely to suffer architectural damage like splits or cracks. However, if you cannot find a tree you want to plant with a strong central leader, you will almost always be able to train a tree into a central leader with intentional and consistent pruning. Once purchased and planted, prune out any substantial limbs that grow upright, leaving only one to develop into the main trunk. This will push any split points where the tree develops decurrent growth higher, and it will decrease the chance of total tree loss in storms or strong winds. Note that if decurrent growth begins at the base of the tree, you will not be able to prune this out. However, this kind of decurrent growth only occurs on smaller ornamental trees. Larger shade trees will grow into excurrent trees with pre-purchase selection and proper pruning. If you have older trees with structural issues, pruning by a tree service will help maintain canopy shape and health, preventing your mature trees from potentially becoming hazardous. For more information on how to determine hazardous trees in your landscape, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KDGF 690 Radio.